The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, everybody. It is Ryan Wilson, not Will Brinson. Will Brinson is driving around North Carolina, spreading holiday cheer to probably absolutely nobody, for being honest. But this is the Brady Quinn Football Show. <laughs> You've Love got it. the horns as well. You've Love got it. as well. Amazing. Yeah, so um, I, I got fired from the Brady Quinn Football Show this year. So this is a good – I'm glad Brinson's out. I get to reunite with Brady. We haven't talked in a while. Get to talk some football – uh, Debo, I'm sure you don't watch the Monday segments at 4 p.m. on HQ, but Brady's actually been taking it easy the last few weeks on my draft, on my mock draft. So maybe cool. he'll, he'll bring it. No, How it's not that. I mean, I don't, I mean, at this point in time, full transparency, like I don't have a great feel for a ton of the prospects. Uh, probably the top guys that I get to see a lot and I'm watching during the week. Um, I've got a better feel for, but no, you, you do a good job. You know, unfortunately, there's other guys out there who don't. Uh, some may work for us, some may not. I won't name names, but, um, you know, there's, there's sometimes you see these draft boards, you're going, what's happening there? Uh, or is this, is, this might be for clicks, but, uh, no, you, you've done a great job. Thank you, Brady. It's good to yeah. talk to you. And, um, I feel like this is a, a great way to end 2020, which has been for the most part a pretty crappy year. Uh, and, uh, I'll take two minutes to tell you about what happened to me last night. Speaking of crappy years, have you seen, what I walked myself into with Breach and Brinson. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. So uh, December 14th, after the, the Steelers lost to the Bills, I went on the podcast. We did the Sunday night podcast. And I'll make this quick, Debo. And I said, uh, if the Steelers lose to Ryan Finley and the Bengals, I'll get a Ryan Finley tattoo. Hey, will you hold on one second? Hold on one second. Debo, yeah. do you happen to have – I sent you something before the show. Do you happen to have what I was asking for? If the Steelers lose at Cincinnati next week, Ryan Finley tattoo right here. All right, sorry, that is an actual podcast bet. If the Steelers, you got, you got to, I mean, you, you said it twice now. <laughs> All right, then I'll do it. Of course I'll do it. But you have to pay for it. Breach draws it. You pay for it. I get it. I will literally give, I will Venmo you the money the, the, the second the game is over. And I will Venmo you double whatever the tattoo costs so that you can buy a camera and take pictures of yourself to send all of us. <laughs> so. Some people come unprepared for the show. I was prepared for this moment, Ryan. Behind, behind, you know, behind the scenes, I had Debo waiting for this. I was waiting till the end of the show to bring it up. I don't want to bring up a sour note, but since you brought it up, man, uh, I'll just kick off the show with this. First off, do you have a tattoo? Okay. 
None nope. of us on the Pick Six pod ha- podcast, including Debo, have tattoos anywhere in our body. So this will be your first, and I got to tell you, this is a uh, this is going to be a tough one. I got to be honest with you, man. <laughs> Look, it'll be the first. I can guarantee you this one. It won't be the last. I'm going to get two sleeves. You will not be able to find the Ryan Finley tattoo anywhere on my body. This is <laughs> a nightmare. Ryan Finley and that dumbass smile he had at the end of the game, insult to injury, breach winner's dad's jersey on the podcast last night. It was just that just that the the, the terribleness of 2020. That that's what reminded me. That. Can I say this? Like, you know what? You know what? I actually found myself because we did a you know pick segment before, and uh, Kenny White, who called it by the way, he said first score of the game would be a Bengals field goal, and I think we were both looking at it like, oh, it's a great value play. I think it was like plus four thirty five. And, and I was like, oh, no, I'm going with Pittsburgh. It's the favorite bet. It's, it's plus 100. They're going to drive down, score a touchdown. They're going to get this thing back on track. And sure enough, three and out, Bagels get the ball. I think they punted. They went back to Pittsburgh. That didn't work out with fumble. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, the first score Kenny White called this. And I was thinking to myself, the way that first half played out, not only like it was like the spread in jeopardy. I mean, not that, you know, after what a 14 point favorite that like, Pittsburgh couldn't score 31 in the second half and actually cover, but they just had no life. Like the Bengals beat the crap out of them. And so I sat there and I had like a moment, Ryan, where I was like, you know what I've done, man? I've gotten too close to you guys because I forgot what it felt like to be like a Bengal. Like I play on some bad teams, yeah. but when you play on some bad teams, when you realize at the end of the season, when you have these surprising wins, you're like, yeah, we're not as bad as everyone thinks we are. Like the margins are a lot thinner with the right. worst players, the worst teams to the, to the best players, best teams than most realize. And that's what I say on any given Sunday, any team can beat any team. This just happened to take place on a Monday night. Nonetheless, you're getting a tattoo. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I can't wait to explain it to my wife. That's going to be a fun conversation. But do you have to put it in a certain spot? No, I, I think uh, you know that that's up for a debate. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. I'm thinking probably the the inside of my arm, relatively small. Um, so what does that have to say? Just Ryan Finley? Breach gets to draw it. He can take reader submissions. So and uh, Brent's that's a pay for it. So that those are the the starting points. Oh man, I mean, I, I would I would probably try to put that somewhere where people wouldn't see it. Yeah, maybe no. my butt crack or something. <laughs> I was going to say your butt cheek, but <laughs> no. sure, if you want to spread them, man, and, no. and deal with that pain, no. good luck with that, buddy. I, I wear uh, I, I wear the, the thongs in the summer, so it has to be in the butt crack. All right, let's go. Enough enough with that. That's that's enough about, about <laughs> my trials and tribulations. All right, so here we go. Are you really going to get this tattoo? Just real quick. Are you really going to get this? Debo has... has has been the voice of reason. We'll see. We'll, we'll have to work through it. I've been a lot of, I've, I've seen Debo before he came out, a lot of messages from people like, like, don't do it. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I'm at the point in my life where I don't really care. I mean, I'm not going to get a full on Ryan Finley face, but if it's, if it's something like you can't make out what it is, I'm like, I don't care. I would, uh, I would just say this. How about this? Maybe you settle somewhere in the middle, get like a henna tattoo. Those aren't permanent, but they last for a while. So maybe, maybe that works. That was Debo maybe. suggesting last week, even before we knew this game was going to be a blowout. <laughs> It wasn't even close. It wasn't even, even close. At no point. Oh so, man. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So let's let's start with the uh, with happier news. Um, Alabama and Notre Dame, Rose Bowl, January one. Ton is of guys going to be. Is that happy? <laughs> happy news is that a lot of guys can get drafted. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe have, I think the spread opened at nineteen, so that's not happy news for for Brady Quinn and Notre Dame fans. Um, so we talk about Mac Jones a lot every week. Um, we, we can talk quickly about that. I had him going to the Falcons at number five. I think you feel that's kind of high. What are your concerns with Mac Jones? 
Um, I, I said this the other day. There's, there's no real holes in his game. Um, he's very accurate. He's smart. I think I told you I, I did a, um, a rivals camp, uh, for like Under Armour. I mean, it's Under Armour camp in Baltimore, like right outside of Under Armour's facility. And Mac Jones was there. Mac Jones won the competition. He was really impressive at the time. He was a Kentucky commit. Um, but he was just, he was really, really, uh, competitive. He was accurate. He was coachable. He was like all the things that have made him like what he is now. So I'm not surprised by all, at all that, that he had success stepping in for Tua last year and then this year as their starter. I think the things where I'm concerned is he doesn't have any extraordinary talents. So the situation he enters, enters into is paramount. You know, he's going to have to have a line and guys to throw to and, and what you're watching right now with, with Alabama, I think in order to be successful, you know, he doesn't have the shiftiness or mobility of a Kyler Murray, uh, or the size and arm strength of a Josh Allen. And, and you can look at some of the other guys who've been drafted and have succeeded, especially at that spot. Like, I think, I don't, I don't, I don't think Sam Darnold, uh, is that different from him in regards yeah. to uh, at least, you know, the, their size or, you know, their attributes. I think Darnold's probably even a better athlete or better off script than Mac Jones is. Um, and, and look how bad he struggled with the Jets, right? So that's the tough thing is I think he's going to enter into a bad situation. He would be better suited getting drafted in the second round to a better team or, or late in the first, middle, middle first, uh, to a, to a better football team. I think that would actually bode well for him. And again, this isn't to knock him. Um, you know, I, I could be drastically underrating, you know, some of his skills, but. I just, I, the, he's coming into the league at a time where you've got to be able to move and you've yeah. got to be able to do something with your feet. Yeah. Now, and then uh, for the rest of my drafts, I'm going to have him going to the Steelers in the first round. So I've solved that problem because that's where he needs to go. Maybe that, maybe that's the best case for him. But, um, I will say one thing that a scout mentioned to me that I thought was really interesting. Joe Burrow played behind four guys who were drafted. Uh, Mac Jones will probably, probably play behind four or five guys who were drafted along the opposite line. Joe Burrow took a ton of sacks because he tried to, try to make a lot of plays off script and he was wildly successful. But Matt Jones actually does get the ball out on time. I know you, you'll, you'll, you'll say that a lot of those guys are open, but he does make the right decisions. It seems like more often than not. And that probably on some level will help translate because it seems like for Justin Fields, for example, it's not clear. And you actually said this the other day. It's not clear that he knows what he's looking at when he's supposed to be looking at. Well, back to the Burrow thing. I would argue this Burrow displayed a lot of athleticism and toughness and everything yeah. else. I, I would disagree with whoever it was that you spoke to about that. He took a ton of, ton of sacks. He, he took some sacks, but to me that was more of a byproduct, too, of them playing a lot of empty. I mean, even though he played behind a good offensive line, he, he took sacks. He didn't take a lot of sacks. Like, it wasn't like he was leading, um, you know, leading college football in sacks. They played at a ton of empty, and so there were times, too, where the pass rush got the better of him. When you go back to, like, watching the Auburn tape with Derrick Brown and, 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 and Big Cat and some of the other players up front, those guys, those guys got after him a little bit. So it wasn't that he didn't have those moments, but I, I, I just would disagree with this. I mean, look at him now at the Bengals. He elevated that team, everything around him, but his playmaking ability and his off script ability is, is what's been the difference. Not that he gets the ball out on time because he still gets the ball out on time and it doesn't make a difference. I mean, he's hurt right now is that <laughs> offensive line. That's so. a good point. I'm actually laughing. The first laugh was because if he'd played last night, they would have beaten the Steelers by 50 points. So that's a good thing. I guess that's the upside. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the, the Alabama wide receivers, which is a conversation we have every year. I love Devontae Smith. You love Devonta Smith. I love Jalen Waddell's um, potential. Like, he's not quite there yet, and that's only because he was the fourth wide receiver on that team last year when they had two other guys go in the first round and Judy and Henry Ruggs. 
I think Devonta Smith's a better player. I think Jalen Smith has a chance to be the better pro. What do you think? Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, it's tough. You look at the frame of Smith and kind of reminds me a little bit of Marquise Brown for Oklahoma. I think the difference yeah. is Smith's a better wide receiver. He's got more consistent hands. Um, they asked him to do more within the system uh, than, than what they did with Brown at Oklahoma. So I don't think he'll have any problem transitioning into the NFL. Maybe Cal- maybe Calvin Ridley is a better comp as far as his size. I don't know that he's that slight of frame as Smith is, but that, that's the only concern. And I think the other thing is, you know, Waddle's going to probably run a more impressive 40. Smith is a long strider. It seems like he needs a little bit longer to get up to top speed. So that won't impress you quite as much. And, and then looking at the comp for Waddle, you know, with, with his versatility with what you can do, he's probably closer to like a Tyreek Hill-esque player. Uh, more so than even like a rugs or anything like that. Yeah, so that, that'll be really attractive, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think rugs, I think Devonta Smith's better than rugs. And I think Jalen Waddell has a chance to be more, uh, versatile than, than rugs. Is rugs, well, he's not a one trick pony. You just see the four, three, seven speed, whatever it was. And you sort of start wow. from there. Um, let me ask you about your guy, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Awusu Koromoa. Yeah. Where does, where is he going to play next year? Yeah, he played that like hybrid outside backer spot. I mean, you've got to put him in a four down scheme. Uh, I think he might be a little light to put him as an inside backer, like in a nickel. If you got five DBs, DBs in the field, he's one of your backers. I would be a little bit concerned about people trying to run on him, especially in between the tackles. And the other thing is, if you look at primarily where he plays, like he plays oftentimes like over the slot, like out in space. And if you look at Hassan Reddick, who came out of Temple, he primarily played off of the edge. Arizona drafted in the first round. They tried to make him into an inside backer. And one of the things I think people understand is like, not to get all dorky football for you, but when you're in between the tackles, you know, you're really stressed. Your peripheral vision is stressed on both sides because you've got a lot of things happening in a quick amount of time in front of you. You've got to react and you've got to be re- efficient with your reaction, with your footwork where you step uh, and then what you're reading and then make it a decision. When you go, you got to commit because we're playing linebacker in between the tackles in the NFL. You'll get blown up if you're kind of like, Dipping your toe in the water. If, ah, uh, is that where the ball's going? Is this the, the gap I need to fill? Um, and so you wonder if, if his lack of experience necessarily playing in the box as much, uh, would hurt him in that transition like it did Reddick, who now they've moved outside since the injury to Chandler Jones. And he had what five sacks the other week versus yeah. the Giants. So, um, that, that's kind of my concern. I think with, with Jeremiah is if, if they start trying to put him in the box, make him something he's not, will you have the same product production? And will we be the same player? Cause I'll tell you what, man, for his, his, for his length and size to be able to put him over a slot, he is special. I mean, he is, he's got rare athleticism, rare length. He's a good tackler in open space. Everyone's looking for that. So, um, you know, this guy's going to be impact player, just how they go about finding that role and, and then really niche for him and then how he fits up at the, at, at the next level. But that's the direction that every, you know, linebacker uh, size-wise is going. It's more of his, like, frame. Exactly. And we saw Isaiah Simmons struggle, at least early on in the season, trying to figure out exactly what he was supposed to be doing after being the best athlete on the field every week at Clemson. You know, so, talking to Vance Joseph about that, by the way, it was somewhat like Vance not having confidence in him, hmm. knowing what he's supposed to be doing. Like, his defense, he's like, well, it's one thing if it's base, and that's when he was playing early. Um, and then in nickel, he wasn't playing at all. And so he was like, he's still going to learn my defense in base than a nickel. So I feel comfortable like putting him out there. And so it was an interesting conversation with him. He's like, look, he's got all the ability in the world, but 
none of that displays itself if you can't think fast and then play fast. And he's just not there yet. So right. that was great. That was like week two, week three. Um, I think he's gotten better since then. Do you think uh Koromo is a first-round pick? I do. I think tower-wise, because he's going to test outrageous. Yeah. You know, he's going to be probably, if I had to guess, a 4-5 guy. I'd be yeah. surprised if he wasn't. He'll jump well and do well in the drills. They'll measure his arms, and everyone's going to start, you know, foaming at the mouth or they'll have their mouth watering just looking at him as a specimen. So uh I, I do think he'll be looked at in that van. I mean, look, he's one of the buckets. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's not like you could justify this draft pick taking him somewhere in the first round. All right, the other January one bowl, Super Bowl. Cool. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't okay. even touch on Alex Leatherwood. Oh well, the Debo gave us a list of guys. He Leatherwood didn't make my first uh, first round pick. Uh, he hasn't been in the first round for a few weeks. If you talk about Alex, go ahead. The left tackle. No, I just like you know we we talk about Panay Sewell and being like the the first tackle taken, the best prospect. He didn't play this year. Of all the guys, I've been able to say a little bit of right now and kind of give you a quick evaluation of like that dude's got it, man. I thought he would have been drafted pretty high last year. Probably not as high as he will be this year, but he's that next tackle that I'm really looking at saying, I think a lot of teams are going to love everything about what they're seeing from him this year on tape. Um, and so I think it was a wise decision for him to, you know, come back and, um, the way he's developed over the past year. Yeah. No, you're right. I think it is smart that he came back because he was playing opposite Jedrick Wills last year, who was, who's balling out this year. He's going crazy. I mean, he's, he's a left tackle at for the Browns after not having played left tackle and Leatherwood. Leatherwood, the word for me is he's consistent. Like he's not going to blow you away with any like flashy sort of pancaking guys left and right, but he does what he's supposed to do and he does it every single down. And that's clearly what, what you need along the offensive line. They have Deontay Brown, the, the, I think he's the right tackle. He's, he's the size of like three Brady Quinns. They have Lance, uh, Landon, Landon Dickerson, his name Landon, Landon or Lance, the center who got hurt, the Florida State transfer just got hurt last week. Uh, he's like 330, plays center. There's there a lot of buzz about him. So, again, I mean, it's not surprising that Alabama has some guys on the offensive line. But you're right. Alex Littlewood is going to be in the first-round conversation. I thought you were going to hold me up and want to talk about Ian Book. So no. <laughs> uh, Clemson, Ohio State rematch, I think. That's a playoff game rematch, where Justin Fields did not play well last year in that rematch. He had the knee injury, and maybe you could say maybe that had something to do with it at the time. But after a strong start this year, and Brady, you've talked about the – um, the up and down of the season, the college football season. The last two of the last three games, the Indiana game was hard to explain, and the Northwestern game was hard to explain for Justin Fields. So you can talk about Trevor Lawrence, but I think we sort of know what boxes he checks. And then um, what about Justin Fields? I mean, what are we doing with that? I, I would I would tell him to come back for another year. Uh, I really would. I, I know people are going to crush me for saying it, but – I don't hate that. Um, no, and and, and – Here's the, here's the thing is people are going to crush me because he'll probably be the second quarterback taken because this league is willing to take a chance on a guy that has his sort, sort of intangibles and abilities. He's a rare athlete. He's big. He's strong. He's accurate. I just think you don't, you haven't, I haven't seen the development from him from last year to this year, especially versus pressure. Like we saw versus Indiana or Clemson last year in the semifinal game and, and not even so much versus pressure with Northwestern, just. Being able to see what the defense is doing, what they're adjusting to after the snap of the football, that's something that Northwestern does really well. They hold their disguise to the snap, and then they try to give you some slight variations that that change with where you're going with the football. And I thought a lot of times this year when you took away his number one read, he struggled. Like if he didn't know where he was going with the football right away, he wasn't able to work through a concept and go, okay, one's not going to be there. But two is and three is not, but four is and be able to get through it fast. 
And people may say, well, you're asking too much of these guys then. Well, unfortunately, that's what you're asked to do at the NFL level. Brady, so, let, me, let me ask you this, though, because I don't think you're asking too much. I was going to say to you, so, you know, you obviously uh, played, you know, played Notre Dame. You, you were a first-round pick. But these guys have been going to camps since they were in eighth grade. Is that when it starts for these kids? Yeah. You're do, doing the seven-on-sevens, and I'm assuming when you do all this summer work, you're working on going through progressions and what kind of looks you might see. Why is Justin Fields struggling still as one of the best players in college football doing the things that you should be able to do? From, just from virtue of playing the position for 10 years now, whatever it is. So my biggest guess, and I don't know, I mean, if I knew, I'd, I'd try to monopolize the initiative and make sure everyone's <laughs> teaching this, right? Um, but but my, my guess is one of a couple things. You get so accustomed to playing seven on seven, okay, that you then when there's a pass rush, now you're like your focus is like, well, I'm not used to throwing these guys around me. Like now I've got to drop back and I've got to navigate this or I'm concerned about getting hit. And I'm used to standing perfect in the pocket and patting the football and making these throws. Like, that's not football. Like, as much as we want to act like these camps and seven-on-seven tournaments help, they really don't because they don't force these guys to play with the rhythm of how it actually works because real quarterback play is being able to drop back, know you're going to get hit, get hit, but still deliver a throw, and then get up and do it again and do it again and again and again. And so that, I think, is is one thing, with at least with fields, where, especially in Indiana, when you start to see him getting hit, he started making terrible decisions, like the way he was trying to get rid of the football or hold on to the football too long. And you're like, dude, no, you've got a six yard completion. You've got a nine yard stop. Just look outside the numbers and look at that easy eight yard, 10 yard off coverage and take it. Like it's not complicated. Um, and, and he just, for whatever reason, didn't, doesn't want to do it at times. So there's frustration, I, I think, with that, with the way seven on seven kind of works and just not being really real football. The other thing is playing from the shotgun. Like when you play under center, and I would say, all right, a three-step, five-step, seven-step drop, your drop is coordinated with the timing of the route. So I know if it's three-step, I'm not hitching on a three-step drop. By the time my, my third foot near a foot hits the ground, I know where I'm going with the football. I'm letting go of it. I'm only working half the field. You can't work the entire field in a three-step drop. In five-step, by my fifth step, I know if number one's there or not. And I know if I'm going to hang on number one, if it's man-to-man, because I like the matchup. And if it's zone, like, I'm off it. I'm already moving to number two, even though I haven't hitched yet. Like, that's the thought process you have to have. Not a lot of these kids play with that anymore. And I think a byproduct of that is being shotgun, getting lazy with your feet, because your feet are tied with your, mo- your that internal clock in your mind and how you go about, you know, really getting through your reads. Because as much as, as, much as it, it's about seeing what the defense is giving you, it's also being like, well, I just hitched once. I'm already on to number two, and I've got to let this ball go now. Otherwise, I'm hitching. I'm on to number three after my second hitch. Because if you get three hitches, you probably held onto the ball, you know, too long at that point in time. So I, I think the, the shotgun mechanics haven't forced guys to have to be able to play fast with their mind and their feet to then anticipate throws, which is what you have to do at the NFL level. Love it. That's a that's a fantastic answer. I, I learned. I just learned something. That's great. And it's not just Justin Fields. There are a ton of kids coming out. Ian Book. You mentioned Ian Book. I just went back, watched the tape against Clemson, called their OC we're talking about. Uh, Tommy Reese called a great game. And and the conversation we had was, look, sometimes versus your Clemsons versus your Alabamas, you know, open's different. Open's more like what you're getting at the NFL where you've got a guy one-on-one, and in college you're like, well, there's no separation. But that's open when you get to the NFL, when you play against some of the better defenses. And, and so, like, he's got to trust it. He's got to let that ball go. There's times when 
he's got a wide receiver coming across the field, you know, about ready to clear Skalski, and there's a window there, but he's got to be able to hitch and throw before he necessarily gets to that spot. And so it's it's not just Fields, it's it's Ian Book, it's it's a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. Trevor Lawrence is the only one that really you don't see that a ton from where he's holding on to the football. He he does a good job of kind of getting rid of it, knowing where he's getting rid of the ball too. All right, speaking of Trevor Lawrence, what is the like what is worst case scenario in terms of his floor? Um, now that it looks like he's going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, just as an NFL player, because I mean the expectations are just through the roof for this guy. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying the stat through the day, so there's been what five quarterbacks taken number one overall since the merger that have won a Super Bowl. Uh, since the millennium started, it's been both Mannings, that's it, Eli and, and Peyton. And then if you go back before that, there was three, but you know, I, I can't even recall who the three were. So, uh, maybe you can do the research on that or Debo can, but the, the reality is there's always high expectations when you're a number one overall pick. And unfortunately, you're going to the worst team in the league. So, uh, it takes time. It takes patience. And we have evolved now into a time where, I think Peyton Manning might have struggled with how the media, how social media handles guys who struggle in their first year. I mean, he threw what 30 picks or whatever it was his first yeah. year. And so like, if, if you are, if you're living in that era, it's tough to be able to block out all that noise all the time when it surrounds you uh, and be able to still have the confidence that you need to have to play at a high level. So he's got that working against them, but he's kind of, you know, been born into it anyway at Clemson from the you know, second he stepped on campus. I, I think he'll be the type of guy that's a perennial pro bowler as far as, you know, if he'll win a Super Bowl, like that's so much predicated on the team and their organization at around them. And so that's the hardest thing is, is like they never have. So what would make you think that they're going to, uh, it's kind of like when Pete makes that prediction about Joe Burrow, you're like, dude, okay. Joe Burrow could be like the greatest quarterback, but you know, like for example, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. He's only won one Super Bowl, you know, and he's, he's part of a good organization. So it's like, it, it's tough at times to be able to win a Super Bowl. It takes a team, not just one guy. Yeah, and I think it, this is an incredibly tough comp, and people love having comps for, for players, even though sometimes it's not apples to apples. But I think, if, and I've said this before, if Trevor Lawrence plays like Justin Herbert in 2020, that's a great start to Trevor Lawrence's career because they're the same body types. They both have great arms. They both are insanely athletic for their size. Um, now, Trevor Lawrence in, in year one at Jacksonville or wherever he ends up plays like uh, Justin Herbert at Oregon then there are going to be some concerns. But you talked about this last year, that a lot of Justin Herbert's struggles perhaps had to do with being in an office where they threw 50 screens and ran the ball a ton, and it just didn't fit what he did well. Yeah, and look what Oregon did in the offseason. They fire, they, they move off their OC, their OC leaves, they bring in Joe Moorhead, and I feel like now, like not that their offense is letting the world on fire, they had a first-year starting quarterback, but you can see more creativity. You kind of see an offense, you go, oh, okay. Like, like that's maybe what have suited Justin Herbert better, or now what, you know, they're doing with the Chargers. You're saying that suits Justin Herbert much better. It's great. It's so it's so amazing to watch. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back and talk about a few more prospects for bowl season. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, Bernie, let's run through some of these names of guys that are hopefully playing at bowls. We haven't heard whether they're opting out or not, um, or even if they've declared for the draft in some cases. Let's start with uh, Kadarius Tony, the wide receiver from Florida. Like, I watched him over the summer. I said, oh, he's he's small. He's like 5'11", 190. He looks like a probably day two guy. And he has just been, along with Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask, just been just setting the world on fire for Florida he does everything, and when he gets the ball in his hands, he's a running back. Like, you can't tackle him, it feels like, even though he's such a, a relatively, quote-unquote, small guy. What do you like about Tony? I mean, just the fact that he's going to be the type of guy on your game plan every week that you say, I need to get him, like, 10 touches a game. He's just special like that. It could be on the jet sweeps, things that are no-brainers. I, we, we used to have a section called no-brainers, meaning no matter what, this playmaker is going to is gonna touch the football, either via a run, a screen, uh, or, or isolating him in some way, whether it's in a bunch formation or like a three by one, four by one scenario where you know you're going to have a chance at a one on one matchup. Like he's that special of a talent. So, um, I'll be curious to see which team picks him up, but they've got a, a big time playmaker uh, with, with his sort of ability. I mean, you would think that, um, <clears throat> we always talk about like slots and everything else with New England Patriots. He doesn't necessarily fit their old mold of that, but I would love to see him. When Josh McDaniel's offense spreading him around and whether it's Cam or whatever quarterback that comes in there, uh, giving him some easy completions to him and see what he can do with it afterwards. Cause he is electric. He's a ton of fun to watch. Maybe Kyle Trask will be the quarterback for the Patriots next year, throwing to Kadarius Tony. The Florida Gators play Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl, by the way, December 30th. In the latest mock draft, I had Tony going to the Dolphins for, uh, Tua Tonga by Loa. So, um, here's a guy that I, I like a lot. This is the, I'm moving on to the Peach Bowl, Cincinnati versus Georgia. Desmond Ritter is a quarterback to watch um, if you're looking for sort of a, of a guy that's not mentioned often. But the guy I want to talk about is the cornerback who will be trying to uh, shut down Desmond Ritter, Tyson Campbell, who is long, who is lean, who is um, not necessarily physical. He's still learning the position. But I watched the Alabama game again the other day, and he is he is so good. He moves so well. And I think one of the things that are that's tough about tall wide uh, cornerbacks is their ability to to close. Like they can't run with guys and they can't come off the off the breaks. And he does that extremely well. The issue is that when guys are still learning the position, especially a cornerback, <clears throat> the expectations are such that they're going to struggle. And you have to sort of be willing, and you talk about it with quarterbacks, you have to be willing to give them time to do that. But I don't know if you've seen any of Tyson Campbell or Eric Stokes is the other kid that plays uh for cornerback for, for for the for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um and there's another name I'll mention uh, and then you can you can Say what you like there, Brady. Uh, Aziz Ojolari is the edge rusher for Georgia. Yeah. And he is a, he is a grown man and, um, the edge class isn't very deep. So I, there's a chance he, he sneaks into the first round. Yeah. You know, you've got Quiddy Pay. I think in a lot of your drafts, he kind of reminds me of an edge player that's, that's versatile too. I mean, he's, you know, he can play off the ball inside. He can do a bunch of different things. Uh, Ojolari is kind of that player that I think someone's going to take a, a shot on or a chance on in the first round just because of something you said. There, there's a drop off. From him to kind of that whoever that next guy is or whoever we want to throw in that conversation. So uh Ojulari definitely would be in that spot. It's funny you mentioned that about Campbell. I think the first thing I thought of when I saw him was I was like, all right, like I had to look him up because I'm like, how tall is he? How long is he? I was like, man, he moves really fluid for his size. And it's a rarity, and in particular because, you know, with guys like that, 
um, if, if they're tall and long, especially in the NFL, you try to get them in press man-to-man coverage as much as possible. Cause that, that's the one surefire way of either changing a route before the snap of the football, right? There's a lot of routes that adjust to press man-to-man coverage, but also messes up the timing. And so if you can be long like that, but you also have the ability to recover, which I, I do, that's kind of one of the things I've noticed from him, uh, as far as just his hips and his fluidness and his movement, uh, you, you know, even if you get beat at the line of scrimmage, like you'll still be able to recover to a certain degree. So, uh, I, I like him as a prospect. Uh, I think you have him like going to the Cardinals. Is that what you have in the mock? That's right. 20th in the Cardinals. So, you know, you think about it. Patrick Peterson isn't getting any younger. Um, it would make some sense from that standpoint. Uh, and I feel like more and more teams now are playing nickel and dime anyway. So, you know, you're going to have to have more and more better coverage players. Uh, you know, as teams always, try to find those mismatches, the more better coverage players you, you're able to consistently put on the field, the harder it is for a Kyle Pitts, for example, uh, to be a mismatch and for them to be able to utilize that skill set. Um, you mentioned Kyle Pitts. I'll ask you about him, and then you can, I'll open it up, and you can um, reel off any names that, that you're interested in seeing during bowl season. But Kyle Pitts, is he the best wide receiver in this draft class, even though he's listed as a tight end? No, I think Smith's better than him. Uh, if you're putting as if you're putting us at, as a, at a tight end, I would say him and then the, uh, the, the kid out of Miami are my like top two there. Brevin um, yeah, Brevin Jordan, just his versatility, the way they've used him, uh, within Rhett Lashley's scheme. I mean, he can play off the ball. He can play out in space. They get it to him on screens and do all kinds of stuff with him. So th- those are like the top two that I think are going to be fun to see what they do at the next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's almost like, uh, what's his, what's his weight right now? Cause he almost reminds me of like Claypool. As yeah. far as like, he's going to come to the combine or however they do the combine this year. And people are going to be like, Oh, is he just a big wide receiver or is he like a small, fast, you know, elusive tight end? He's listed at, he's 6'6, 240 is what he's listed at. So he looks lighter than that, I think, especially if he's 6'6. And by the way, and you know, this, he ain't blocking anybody anyway. So you can call him, you can call him a left tackle oh. if you want to. He ain't, he's running routes. But that's the thing is, and like Urban Meyer and I had this long conversation just about pits in general and just like the mismatch he creates is because of that frame, people are probably going to play more, you know, nickel dime personnel against him. So probably a defensive back. And he's like, that's perfect because then you motion him back inside when he's playing outside and, and what has to happen? That DB has to come with him. So, you know, if you're talking about him blocking like a four, three DN, yeah, no way. But when you're talking about actually who he's going to be blocking, it's going to be a second level defender. It's probably going to be a defensive back. He can do that. Um, now, do you want to put him at the point of attack? No, but the backside of a run. Uh, or if you've got some sort of, you know, scheme where you got a pull and you got him coming around, he can handle that second level defender. Yeah. He's been so much fun to watch. That, that, that Florida offense has been a lot of fun to watch. Is there anyone else, um, you want to talk about that you, you like a lot? I know you like Oway. We've talked about Jason Oway on the show yeah. and we talked about Quiddy Pay. I don't know if there's anyone else on either side of the ball. Yeah, Zach Wilson, he, we haven't talked about. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I obviously, you know, he's, he's going to be an interesting prospect to see where he goes. Uh, the way he moves around, I think the way he sees kind of diagnosed in the field, he can spit it out and he thinks athletic enough to, to be in that, uh, conversation. So how teams view him will be interesting because I, I think he's going to check a lot of boxes and whether it's like Mac Jones, you talked about maybe have people that have different opinions on him. Zach Wilson's going to be the other player that like he's not going to look the same as Justin Fields or the ball's not going to come out of his hand the same. Right. right. But. You're still going to put on the tape and go, he's a ton of fun to watch, man. Um, Joseph Osai, you, you've had him in some of your mock drafts. Yeah. He's the edge rusher out of, out of Texas. You know, I, I don't know how his game necessarily will translate. I just know this, man. He's got a, a tremendous motor. He's a high motor guy. That's right. He's strong at the point of attack, you know, for his size. Uh, I, I've got the utmost respect for how he's continually played throughout the course 
of, of his career at Texas. You know, they've been because they he was inside. They had a yeah. plan inside, and now outside, he, he uses that motor to to get after it. Well, that's also too. I feel like he's got some value where he's got like that ability to be versatile with where you put him and what you do with him. Uh, almost like how they used to use Malcolm Roach. Like that guy could play off the ball. He could play in different spots, but he doesn't have the same ability that Osai has. So he's going to be an interesting one to watch. I'm curious to see how he'll test. Uh, he's another guy that, you know, he's going to have the Adonis effect on everyone, but, um, you know, how that's going to actually work out or translate on the field will be interesting to see what teams think of him. What do you think? Have you watched any of Jalen Phillips out of Miami? Yeah, man. And he's, he's such a great story. Imagine what he's going to look like with his shirt off. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> at, the, at the combine. His journey, though, from where he was at UCLA, what he went through off the field. Yeah, he retired. Yeah, and and then at Miami, when like I remember going to see him over at training camp, uh, not this past season, the season before, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't know, we'll see." And so when Greg Russo decided not to not to go this year, not to out, it presented a great opportunity. He put himself in the best shape of his life. Uh, he's playing some really good football. The stats won't necessarily wow you, but when you watch the tape, man, you see the effort. You see the skill, you see some of the technique that he utilizes. I mean, he's, I'm not saying he's a finished product, but he, he's a good player. Uh, so he's a guy, and then Quincy Roche on the other side, those are two guys that are going to get drafted, just not so sure where. Yeah, I, I like Jalen Phillips a lot better than Quincy Roche. He's much stronger, obviously, at the point of attack, but just looking at him, and it makes that obvious. But I don't know if you remember this, Brady, and we'll, we'll get out on this because you have more important things to do. You texted me in August 2019 and said, keep an eye on Greg Rousseau and Jalen Phillips because you were practice. Yeah. No, Greg Rousseau I, I, got, got 15 and a half sacks and Jalen Phillips has uh, made quite a, a name for himself this season. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I saw Phillips kind of walking around, working out a little bit. I was like, all right. Like he looks the part obviously high, but the Russo kid was like, wow, watching him. That great of the offensive line struggled that year for Miami, but like watching him, his length, his old backstory, I think he actually was like a wide receiver. Like, yeah. So now at the end, um, it's just, it's crazy to see this meteoric rise. I'm curious though, all these opt outs, like Rashawn Slater, the tackle out of Northwestern. Uh, Russo, Jamar Chase. Like, I really am curious to see if their stock will be impacted because if it is, I think it actually helps this trend for college football. But otherwise, um, sorry about this. That would be, that would be our employer calling us right now. Um, oh, I'll just say this. The opt outs. It will be interesting to see how they're viewed. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Brady. It's good talking to you. We'll talk soon. Happy holidays. Sounds good. You too. Have a happy holidays. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.